And I'm so happy and I'm so pleased that Whitney is going to bring uh, the word to us today. Uh, Whitney will soon be departing. This is not her last Sunday with us, but this will be her last opportunity to preach for us for you know for a while. She will be leaving, going to Oklahoma for a few days, and then she will be back on September the the weekend of Labor Day, September fourth, and then we were going to we were going to have a special day of sending for Whitney as she prepares to depart to South Africa. So if you're between ages of Four and eleven, the children's church staff is waiting at the back door. They would like for you to meet them and go ahead and go to children's church. If you're eleven and over, I want you to just show Whitney how much you love her and how much you appreciate her as she comes to minister the word this morning. Can you do that? I am excited to be here this Sunday. I think most everybody I probably know, I think there are some faces that are a little bit unfamiliar to me, but I think it's funny, just last night as I was praying and I was thinking about speaking here this morning, something hit me that I don't think had ever quite hit me before, and it's the fact that so many people in this room taught me, and so many people in this room have probably changed my diaper, have watched me go through my really shy child years and then my hyperactive kind of preteen years and then my really awkward teenage years and now I'm a young adult and I'm sure people have probably wondered what in the world is she doing with her life um, but whichever version of me that we had the honor and pleasure of meeting at I would like today to just come before you as someone who just really really loves Jesus and is just really excited to share him with you this morning. So before we move on, if you believe that God is the Redeemer, the Savior, the the Healer, and the Light of the World, can you just give him some praise this morning? Just thank him for who he is. Yeah. Now, I want to, before I jump into Scripture, just be a little bit transparent with you guys. Um, But before we do so, I just want to pray. So let's pray, let's welcome the Lord into this place. We already have, he's already here. And then I'm going to tell you a story and we'll jump into the word. So Father, we come to you this morning, God, just so expectant and excited to get to hear about you, God, to serve you this morning, Father, to join with a body of believers, God. We give you our all today, God. We pray that you would open our ears, God, open our eyes, God, open our spirits to see what you're saying, Father. We want to hear what you're saying. We want to see what you're doing, God. I pray that you would touch us this morning, that we would not go back changed, that it would not just be another Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by saying that a lot of people ask me a lot of questions all the time. And I love questions because I feel like it's an opportunity to get to know each other. If you know a little bit about my story, I actually, after I graduated, I worked at the Bluefield Daily Telegraph for a little while. And so I feel like my interview skills grew exponentially. And so I was able to ask questions and get to know people. And so I found just joy in learning people's stories. But this morning, even though a lot of you probably know a lot about me, probably more about me than I probably realize that you know about me, I want to just be really vulnerable. And I want to share a story. 
And it's a story, it actually happened when I was in Oklahoma. And it was a, a process of last fall, actually, when the Lord began speaking to me and just moving things in my heart and shifting things in my mind. And when, if you know anything about the journey, it was when he started calling me to South Africa for the first time. And I remember one night, I was sitting in my room in Oklahoma. It was late. I had watched a movie. I stayed up later than I needed to so that I could watch this movie. And I was laying in my bed. And as I was laying in my bed, I quickly realized that I couldn't sleep. And so in efforts to fall asleep, because I knew I had to be awake the next morning, I tried to just lay there and count the sheep and toss and turn until finally I just decided I couldn't do it anymore. And I got out of bed, and I went to the corner of my room where I had a little desk. And I got out my Bible and my journal, and I just started to write. Because I felt like there was something that the Lord was wanting to teach me, and that there was something that the Lord wanted to show me, and that I just couldn't sleep because I just needed to either get it out of me or for Him to put it in me. And so I just started journaling. And as I started journaling... He began speaking to me different things, and as he began speaking to me different things, I began to count the cost of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And when I began to count the cost of what it looked like to follow Jesus, I quickly realized that it was far more than I ever knew before, but that he was so worthy of everything that I could give. And so as I was sitting there, I began to just meditate on Matthew 13, 44. So if you have your Bible this morning, I just want you to open up to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And as you're turning there, I'll just preface with this. As people ask me questions, I often try to brace myself for what the question might be. And the other day I was contemplating and I was thinking to myself, if someone asked me to share the one thing that I would say to people if I had an opportunity, then I think it would be this. I think it would be that Jesus is Savior. And I think it would be that it's time for us to stop playing Christian and it's time for us to stop playing church. And it's time for us to walk in the fullness. And as I started contemplating that, I started contemplating of the cost and what that looks like and how we do that and how it comes to life in the actual. And I went back to that night in my room in Oklahoma all over again as I sat at my desk and began to think about Matthew 13, verse 44. And it's just short. Here's what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes, sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, this is a verse that I knew from childhood. Again, one of you guys probably taught me this verse. But I always thought to myself when I read this verse, I would always think, okay, but why did he cover it up? Why did he cover up the treasure? But as I began thinking that night in my room, I felt as if the Lord started telling me, Whitney, you're asking the wrong question." It's not why did he cover it up. It's that he had so many other options of what he could have done with the treasure. He could have taken it. He could have dug it up. He could have taken it home, kind of waged how much it was worth, and then said, okay, if I sell this much, then I can buy this treasure. Or maybe just take it with him because finders keepers, and he can do whatever he wants with it because he's the one that found it, right? But that's not what he did. 
he found it and then in his joy the bible says in his joy he goes home sells all so that he can buy the field and it makes me think about just the glimpse of the kingdom of god that we've seen in our lifetimes just a glimpse of the glory of god that we've seen in our lifetimes and if we've seen just a glimpse and we know that there's so much more then how much are we willing to give in order to see the fullness of the kingdom of god come into fruition in our lives and i think if we walked in that understanding then we would walk maybe just a little bit differently Now, we don't have a ton of context around this scripture. We know that there are a bunch of parables through here. And most of them are talking about the superlative value of the kingdom of God. Mainly just saying there's nothing on earth more valuable than the kingdom of God. But I had a challenging thought. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. And first it's this. It's that we cannot realize the value of the kingdom if we've not met the king. We can't realize the value of the kingdom unless we've met the king. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a very firm believer that a lot of different things can happen in the presence of God. And I think that I could probably stand up here and tell you what very little I know about Jesus, what very little I know about God and the Holy Spirit. But as I would tell you, I believe full-heartedly that the Lord's presence would be in the room as we're talking about Him, and that His presence is far greater than anything I could say, and that the best thing that I could actually do for you this morning is to introduce you to Him for yourself. There's nothing like it. I think if we met the King we would realize the value of the kingdom. In Philippians 3, 7, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is Paul talking. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then it goes on to say, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that from God that depends on faith. And then he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And the beautiful part to this story, I think, is that we know, we know Paul, right? We know what Paul went through. We know that he would terrorize Christians. We know that he did all these things, but we also know that he had an encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And when he had an encounter with the Lord, his life got flipped upside down. And when his life got flipped upside down, we see later in that chapter that not only was he baptized, but then he immediately went out and started spreading the gospel that had become so real to him. And he left everything else that he had gleaned from life, his life, not given from God, but just the things that are earthly and fleshly. He was willing to give it up with an open hand because he realized that he had met the king of the kingdom and that nothing is more valuable than the king and his kingdom. I think Paul fell so in love with Jesus. That the rest just didn't matter. 
And I wonder this morning what it would look like for us if we felt so in love with Jesus that the rest just didn't matter. If we just fell so in love with him that the rest didn't matter. I think that we would live a lot differently. I think we would walk differently. I think we would talk differently. I think we would we would share about him differently. I think that we would walk in freedom. This Easter, I actually had an opportunity to share an Easter message. I was super nervous. Super nervous. For some reason, it just felt like a really heavy weight to share the Easter message. But I remember as I did, I became... I guess keenly aware of something that I'd never really thought about before. And it's this. It's that what if we really believed the work that he did while he was on earth, while he was on the cross, while he was on the grave, and after he ascended into heaven. I think if we really believed what he did and we really loved him, it would look so different. I remember sitting in Oklahoma, again, in my room. A lot happened in that little room in Oklahoma. But I remember sitting there, and I was crying, and I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I've already given you so much. I've given you so much. There's nothing else I can give you. I don't know what else you want from me. I feel like there's nothing else to give. I was being a brat. And I tell my, I know that I was being a brat, because y'all know I have two older brothers. So I learned to be a really good brat. And I was being a brat to the Lord, and I was saying, But Lord, I've done this, and I just can't do anymore, and I've given you everything. And I was texting with one of my friends, and I was telling them how I was feeling. And I'm very thankful for friends who just shoot me straight. And they said, Whitney, how dare you? How dare you look at life and say, God, there's nothing else that I can give. God, there's nothing else that I have to offer you. And I remember as I was preparing for my Easter, my Easter sermon, I just had a moment with the Lord where I went back to that night and then I reflected on the cross and I thought to myself, if he was willing to give it all for me, then I should be willing to give it all for him. My life is not my own. There's a song that actually means a whole lot to me. And I just want to read you some of the lyrics. It says, I just want to move your heart. It's all I want to do. I just want to stand in awe and pour my love on you. No matter how much the cost, I freely give it all to you. And then it says, is it a fragrance? Then I pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then here I give my vow. Is it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. Jesus, tell me what moves you. I just want to move you. And when I think about that song, and I think about the cross, and I think about our deep desire and need to know the King, I think about the fact that it doesn't matter what the cost is. Because we can fall so in love with him that whatever it is, it's worth it. We'll pay whatever the price for the kingdom when we realize who the king is. Now there's another thing that I think that we come to realize, and I think 
that as we meet the king, as we walk with the king, there's a call that happens. And I think that it's a call for every believer. I don't just think that it's a call that Pastor Inar answered or Miss Sarah answered. I think it's a call that we all get to answer. And I think it's simply the call where Jesus says, follow me. And I was thinking about it as I was thinking about the price that we pay to follow Jesus. And I thought about some key examples in scripture who were willing to do it. And the Bible says immediately when Jesus came to them and said, follow me. I think of Simon Peter and Andrew when they were by the sea. And Jesus came and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Matthew says immediately they left their nets and followed him. He then saw James and John and called them, and immediately they not only left their boat, but they left their father. And they went and they followed Jesus. I then think in Matthew 9 where he sees Matthew. And it says he passed on from there and saw Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. And I joke, and I call this the ultimate walkout, because I kind of just imagine Matthew being like, Yep, I'm out of here. I found him. I found the Messiah that's been prophesied. I found him. I'm going to leave it all and follow him. And then I think about Philip in Galilee, where Jesus goes to him and says, follow me. And Philip knew he had to not only go, but he went to Nathaniel and took him along with him. He said, come here, meet this guy. They were willing to drop whatever it was. They dropped their jobs. In some instances, they left family. Whatever it was, they left because they wanted to be in proximity to Jesus. They not only had met him, but they wanted to be in proximity to him. And they were willing to drop whatever it was in order to walk in that proximity with their Savior. But I think we also know from Scripture But there's a few who didn't make the choice to pay the price, to count the cost, and to follow the Lord. My pastor in Oklahoma actually preached a sermon once called Follow Me. And it was really profound for me because it was really in that time where I was trying to to discern the Lord's voice on what exactly he was he was wanting from me what he was telling me to do and then my pastor preaches this message and he says that when we are asked to follow the lord it confronts any offense it confronts our flesh and it confronts our plan b but i also think this morning that when we're asked to follow the lord and when he asks us to drop everything and follow him it also confronts our hearts And I think it confronts our hearts in such a profound way because whatever is in our hearts that's taking the place where he needs to fit is an idol that we have to get rid of. There's actually a story. It's an allegorical tale. And it's called Hind's Feet on High Places. Now, I love this book. It's a a fantastic book. If you ever have the chance, I say buy it. I've actually told people that I would let them borrow it. But also, it has all of my little notes and scribbles in it. So, unless you want to know me real close and personal, then you probably don't want to borrow my version of Hind's Feet on High Places. But, 
this allegorical tale tells a story of a sheep or a goat, and her name is Much Afraid. Now, Much Afraid is going on this journey where she wants to get to the good shepherd. And as she wants to get to the good shepherd, she comes to this moment where she has friends, and their names are bitterness and shame and fear and pain and all of these things, and they're journeying with her as she makes this trek to get to the high places. And then she comes to this place, and it's called Grave on the Mountain. And I want to read to you what happens at Grave on the Mountain. Now she knows that this is the place where the Lord has asked her to sacrifice and pay a price to walk with him to the high places. And she knows that he wants her heart more than anything else. And she says, in all the world, only one thing really mattered. To do the will of the one she followed and loved, no matter what it involved or cost. And then it says that she felt nothing but a great stillness in which one desire remained. To do the will of the one she followed and loved, no matter what it involved or cost. Everything else died down and fell to the ashes, and one flame burned there steadily, the flame of concentrated desire to do his will. And then there's a moment where she's there on the altar, and she's asking the Lord, the good shepherd, can you take it out of me? I can't do it myself. I'm a great coward. I have great fear. It's going to hurt. And he says, would you like for me to do it for you? And then it was this really powerful little sentence just snuggled in the, in the edge of this chapter where she just says, would you bind me to the altar because I would not like to be found struggling while the will of my Lord is done. Much afraid was willing to give it all until it hurt to see his perfect will be done in her. And I think what we can learn from much afraid is that following the Lord, we know this, following the Lord is not always easy. But yet we're still asked to do it. We're not promised that it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows and butterflies, though that would be really nice. And that's what my little girl mind thought that it was going to be like when I got older. But that's that's not how it is. The Lord asks and requires of us more. And even more than that, oftentimes the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we act, directly confronts the society that we live in. Especially in today's time. Here's some things that culture says to us. It says to be true to yourself. Be tolerant of all. You're the author of your own life. You can figure it out on your own. Do what makes you happy. But that's not what Jesus says. In Matthew 16, he says, If you want to come with me, then you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You have to die to the passions and desires of your flesh. And you may be ridiculed, you may be prosecuted. But it's worth it. Because we know the king 
of the kingdom. And so I want to ask you this morning, what price are you willing to pay to see the kingdom of God? What price are you willing to pay to be in close proximity with him? There's a moment in scripture in Mark 10 where a man comes to Jesus and he's seeking how to find eternal life. And the Lord kind of tells him, he's like, okay, well, you need to be good to people and you're just really going to, you know, be a good a good Christian. But then he says, okay, I've done all that. I've done all that. But then Jesus says, Sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the man can't. And I don't think that it's so much about the possession. I think for him it was, but I think for it, for us, it really confronts what's in our hearts, what's most important to us. And I think that there's some things in our hearts that if Jesus came to us this morning and he said, I really want to be closer to you, but in order for that to happen, then I'm going to ask you to sacrifice this. I really want to be closer to you, but if that's going to happen, then I really would like for you to give me this. And I think when we come to realize that it's not out of his selfishness, but rather for our own good that he wants to take these things out of us, then we would be more inclined to walk in his way and in his will because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And even if we don't understand it, then we do it anyway because we know that. In that same chapter... Peter tells Jesus, but see, we've given everything and followed you. And so it makes me wonder this morning, who are we going to be more like? Are we going to be more like the person who says, no, I can't. You're asking too much this time. That's going to hurt too much this time, God. I can't do it. Or are we going to be the person that says, every time you ask, I'll give everything in order to follow you. And I think it's a decision that we have to make here. And I think it's a decision that we also have to make here. Which will you be this morning? I think it's important for us to realize that the worth of the kingdom is so much more than we could ever think. We only know in part. We only see in part. We won't see in full until God comes in all of his glory. But for now, we trust and we know. And we act like the man who found the treasure in the field. And we immediately go. And in our joy, we sell everything we have to follow him. Now, practically speaking, I think it looks different for a lot of us. For me, I think it looks like practically leaving my family. For some of us, I think it may look like laying down our pride. For some of us, I think it may literally be laying down a possession that has taken a stronghold in our life. Whatever it is, 
we find superlative value in the kingdom. But we can't do it properly until we meet the king face to face. And I want to share this this morning. I was, I was actually just sitting there Friday night and I began thinking about some things in my mind just about the Lord and how we sometimes get into these situations where we're almost having to defend our salvation to other people. And I began to think about a common, a common argument that's made to Christian believers in, well, how could a loving God send people to hell. That's very common. Oftentimes if you're around someone who who has not yet accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives, or maybe they're on a journey to wanting to discover him, they'll often ask a question like that, or, but how does a loving God allow people to die of sickness? Or how does a loving God send people to hell? And stuff such as that. And I was thinking about it, and I actually remembered one of my courses that I've been taking in my class. And it talked about how we oftentimes view our Christianity in ways where we're trying to define it, but God would define it differently. And I began thinking about, actually it was a homework assignment that I had to do for one of my classes, and I began to consider how when man came to earth and Jesus breathed life into them, he gave them a choice. But he also told them, do not eat of this fruit, right? And so when they did, sin entered into the world. Now Jesus knew that. God knew that. But yet, it's not his desire that anyone should perish. It's not his desire that anyone should fall into sin and then have to live in eternal separation with him. So, he had a plan. And his plan literally meant sacrificing what was most precious to him so that we could have life. His plan literally meant his son going to the cross and facing death so that we could not have to live in eternal separation. His plan was literally for our own good. But we have a choice And we have a choice this morning. We have a choice this morning whether we're going to choose life or whether we're going to choose death. We have a choice of whether we're going to follow the king or whether we're going to say, no, it's too much this time, Lord, I can't do it. We have a choice whether or not to walk in full obedience with Christ and to say, you're all I want, you're all I need. I'm not taking the cheap way out. Because here's the thing. He didn't take the cheap way out for us. It actually cost him far more than it cost us. So how could we choose not to give everything to follow him? Will you stand with me this morning? And as you stand with me, I just want to I just want to ask you a few questions. And then we're going to pray. But I think question number 1 is the most important question 
that I could ever ask you. And it's this. Have you had an encounter with the King? Have you met the Savior of the world? The chastisement for our peace. The one who brings us salvation and freedom from suffering. Have you met him this morning? See, we can't count the cost unless we meet him first. And this morning, he wants to meet you as a loving God, as a faithful friend, as a forgiving father. He wants to meet you this morning. He literally paid a price so that you could live with him forever. And then secondly, I want to challenge you to say, search me, God. Search me, God, and find if there's anything in my heart that I've put over you. Search me and see if there's an idol in my life that needs to be ripped out. And even if I'm not willing, Lord, bind me to the altar and help me, Lord. Help take it out of me so I don't have to suffer with it. So that I can walk in the fullness of your plan and your will. And then lastly, maybe this morning you see the choice. And maybe you already walk with God. Maybe you already call him Savior and friend. But maybe you know that there's something that he's calling you to. Something where you feel like he's calling you to go deeper with him. And you've been counting the cost. And you know that it's time to decide. And here's what I want to ask of you this morning. I want to ask that as I pray, be obedient to the to the Holy Spirit. And if you need to spend time with the Lord this morning to make things right in your heart or to come meet Him face to face, have a moment with Him to come count the cost, then the altar is open. You can come sit at His feet this morning. You can come find the healing that you need. You can come find the salvation that you need. So Father, this morning we thank you, God. We thank you that you are who you say you are. God, we thank you that you've given us just a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And Father, we're here this morning saying that we will be obedient, God. And that we will give whatever it is to walk in proximity and in closeness to you. Father, we pray for those things in our lives that we may place over you, God. Those idols that need to be either ripped off or cast down, God. We pray that we would lay them down this morning, God. And that when we walk out the doors, we would not pick them up again and allow them to distract us from the kingdom. But that we would leave them and walk in freedom. We thank you for your son, God. We thank you for the sacrifice.
so this morning, great word, Whitney. I trust that you're serving the King. If you're not, it's an excellent day to begin to trust the King. Uh, last Sunday, and I don't think Whitney was here last Sunday. She was preaching somewhere else, and and I preached the message about uh, you know, spending some time in the King's Garden. And I hope that's where you're at. I hope you get to play in the back backyard of the King, if you would. Be there with him. Be his special friend. So, uh, connected right back with you where I ended up last week. Right now, if you're in this room or if you're watching, this is what I want to ask you to do. I just want you to pray with me. you just follow along with me in prayer. Jesus, I'm asking you today, Lord, to receive my humble submission. And right now, today, I want you to be my King, my Lord, my God. Forgive me of all unrighteousness, all of my sin, all of my failure, Lord. I ask you to forgive me. And today, Lord, I'm choosing to follow you. I want to follow you, my King. So today I surrender my heart, I surrender my life, I surrender all of my being unto you today. God, I want to go where you say go. I want to do what you say to do, and I want to be who you want me to be. So today I submit myself to you. And Lord, I do these things, Lord. Placing myself in your will, in your plan, in your purpose for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I believe if you prayed a prayer that simple, if you prayed along with me, and you believe that in your heart, I, I believe, according to the Word of God, that you're changed, that you're renewed, you've been revised, and you've been reset. You know, in this age of electronics, I, I, I found out when my some of my electronic devices get stuck, One of the best things I can do is to just unplug it, to power it down, and and then start it back up all over again. Let me tell you, that is exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to unplug you. He wants to power you down and to start all over again. And I believe that today, that if you prayed in sincerity, and you take to heart the word that's been brought forth in this room this morning. God is going to reset everything in your life and lead you to a newness. A newness that you will only find in Him. Thank you, Whitney, for that word. That was a tremendous word. Can you give her a show of appreciation for the word that she's brought to us this morning?